O God of the morning and of the evening, let your Holy Spirit come upon us gathered here out of love for you. And may my, my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. After 25 years or more of living in El Campo, Texas, which is where I grew up, my parents in their mid to late 50s found themselves confronting a difficult decision. My dad, who had been the high school principal there in El Campo for years, had suddenly gotten on the wrong side of the school board. And so they announced to the schools that my dad would be being moved from his position as the primary principal at the high school to the principal of an elementary school. The teachers at the high school wept. The teachers at the elementary school celebrated because he was really good at what he did. And he loved the people and he loved the teachers and he honored everyone. They, my parents couldn't see a way out of this situation. It was difficult. It had, um, well, it taken the wind out of my dad's sails. But his daughters could see. And so the three of us went to them collectively and we said, you need to leave. Now, my mother was never one for going out on a limb or anything, so she was not in the mood. <laughs> but, uh, but we could often, after she thought about things and prayed, and after my dad and her had spoken, she could come around. And that's exactly what happened. They sold the house that they had designed and built. Little tiny thing, but it was theirs. And my dad got a job at, um, in Bryan, Texas, which for somebody who graduated from Texas A&M University, that was like going to the promised land. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. He got an associate principal's job at the high school, and within a year's time, he was promoted and given the responsibility of the most challenging school, the junior high school, in the district. And my mom, well, my mom thrived. She worked for an insurance company for a while and then became the key insurance person to provide insurance for all the special things that Texas A&M University did to include things like making sure there was insurance for that ship that went out to the Mediterranean and went looking for sh ships that had, that had sunk. Thank you. <laughs> so they lived there for another, I guess, 25, 30 years and made friends and had a beautiful church. But you know, in that moment when they were facing their pain, they couldn't see that or hear that or answer that. I think everybody sitting here today probably has a story like that that you've had or maybe family members or friends have experienced. You could tell the story as well as I could. So obviously we're going to talk about the reading because that's what we do. So I want to... Before we talk about the call of Abram, I, I just want to, I, I feel compelled to have to say something about that one short sentence. Abram took his wife Sarah and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. A clear reference 
to enslavement, right? I just want to say a quick word about this. Some scholars state that slavery mentioned in the Bible is quite different from the chattel slavery in America. And that's, that's probably true. I mean, Hebrew slaves in biblical times had many rights, including the requirement that slaves were freed after seven years of servitude. In biblical time, they were considered part of the family because, oh, by the way, they're the people that were their owners uh, had to pay taxes for them. So they were considered part of the family and, and, and they reflected on the family. As we hear this passage, uh, I think it's important to remember that according to the Jewish encyclopedia, the slavery of Israelites was abolished by the prophets after the destruction of the Temple of Solomon. That's way before us. It is passages such as this that led to the debates in the 19th century that used scripture to enshrine slavery in America, something that we can now see is America's original sin. And as we hear this passage, we simply must not forget this truth, because just because they had a different kind of slavery, they were still slaves. They were still not free. So we can't pretend that that wasn't a problem. We cannot forget about this. And our country and its culture that has led to the inequities and violence against our black siblings, we have a responsibility to recognize this, to point to it, and to do something about it. So, that said, I want to turn to the focus on the call of Abraham, which is really um, part of what I just said is all about, our calling, right? So we have to back up a bit to get to this passage because a lot happened. The history of the world as told in the early pages of the Bible in the book of Genesis doesn't begin well. The first book of the Bible might well be titled Genesis, the book of divine disappointment. <laughs> right? God creates Adam and Eve. Well, and I also want to say that God created Adam and Steve while we're at it. <laughs> God creates Adam and Eve and gives them everything they could possibly want except to eat from the fruit of that one tree. And Adam and Eve disobey. And well, we know the end of that story. After the garden called, the garden called Eden, uh, they start a family, and all too soon, the very first family explodes into violence as one brother, jealous of the other, kills him. The earth becomes more densely populated, and then comes the story of the building and destruction of the Tower of Babel. And eventually, God gets fed up with the whole thing and sends the great flood, destroying all humanity, save Noah and his family. Now, it's here in a pivotal moment, that it seems that God decides, I think I'll take a different tact, right? Rather than try to work with the whole of humanity, since God has not really had much success doing that, God will set aside a particular people, well, one particular person, and assign this person and his descendants the task of introducing goodness to the world. Enter Abram who becomes the father of the eternal covenant between God and God's people. And the covenant is about a group of 
human beings who agree to share God's dream of building a world in which human dignity is real and the presence of God is manifest. God's first words to Abram are the key to what God seems to expect from us. God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. A green light if I ever heard one. And what do we do when God says go? And that one sentence is fraught with challenges, isn't it? First, to go would be to leave the place of life that you're comfortable in, where you're safe. Second, to leave his friends and relationships that he has developed, oh, mind you, 75 years long. And third, to leave the land of his father is to sever his relationship with his bi biological family and journey toward a place that's radically different from what he has known and a place that God has not revealed to him. Are you kidding me? <laughs> In short, he is at a jumping off place that requires that he question the status quo and trust God. Now, it's hard to imagine a more radical command. And yet the story tells us, listen, so Abram went as Yahweh had told him. This willingness to go without pushback or complaint may seem odd to us. But here's some things to remember. It was in his DNA. Because you see, his father, Terah, had also been asked to pick up and leave the land of Ur and travel to a new land. It's just that Terah stopped at Haran and didn't go any further. So Abram is actually picking up the mantle left by his father. And after all, God does promise a blessing. You're going to have descendants. Even at 75, his wife has been barren. They don't have kids. Even at 75, you're going to have descendants, which is, means that Abram gets eternal life through them, right? You're going to have descendants, and your name will be great. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> now, today, we live in a very mobile culture, don't we? During the pandemic, our neighbors and friends decided that they would move to Mexico, Playa del Carmen, to be exact. Beautiful. We miss them. They miss us. If we were a large membership church, we would soon discover that about a quarter of the membership of our church would relocate each year, meaning that within four years, a new congregation is forming. And I think of all the people who have met others online, and moved. They met them online. <laughs> and we have a friend that has just flown to Brazil to be with the woman she met online. I can't blame her. <laughs> I've seen the pictures. But, I mean, that's, that's big. Now, I don't think she's decided to live there, but maybe. Who knows? Yes, we're a mobile lot. So it means that picking up and moving, I mean, doesn't seem to be as stressful. It is stressful, but not like maybe walking through the desert with all your household, you know. But perhaps our challenge is to go, our challenge to go is 
is the same as Abrams and Sarai's, but also different. No doubt, as my parents had to face a calling to leave where they were in their comfort, um, we've, we probably all had situations where we've left. I, um, I left a really good paying job at Texas A&M University with a good parking place <laughs> to, to go to seminary. And I was scared to death. So we all have those stories, right? But what if our challenge is not just to go physically to a new place of being, but to a place of new being, a place of seeing and understanding differently? What if that's our big challenge today? What if our great challenge in our postmodern world is to instead shatter the idols of security and complacency and to aspire to a different kind of reality, a covenant that is born of the movement when God calls for us to have the courage to abandon what we think we know, that we're so sure of, that everybody ought to believe, right? <laughs> what would answering that call be like for you? What are your idols that you cling to? Because you see, the Hebrew words translated for us as go are quite ambiguous and more literally suggested as something like go to yourself. Go to yourself, your true self. Rashi, a Jewish scholar, interprets go to mean that Abram's journey is not just that he must give up everything, but must understand that the journey is for his good. Abram can, can only be what he is intended to be, a person fully conscious that all others, he and all others are created in the likeness and image of God when his own wants and needs and aspirations correspond with God's. For us, that means that there is no ultimate contradiction between pursuing our good and God's. They are of the same thing. They are, in the covenantal understanding, one and the same. Like I said, part of why Abram can leave all behind and go, it seems so simple. I mean, nothing gets said about that. God says, go, he's, he goes. So one of the reasons he can do it is because of the promises God gives him. Did you hear that? God does not command Abram to make a blessing, but to be. A blessing. God doesn't command Abram to pray some liturgical blessing formula, but to be a blessing. There, God tells Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Note that God enters a particular relationship with a particular person and people, but that relationship in God's view, must spread to the benefit of every family and person on earth. The more Jewish Abram wishes to be, the more universal his concern for others must be. And thus, we, as descendants of Abram, the more Christian we want to be, the more universal our concerns must be, right? 
How do we, as members of God's covenant, embody the blessing? How do we be the blessing? Truth is, the answer comes right after this passage when God takes Abram out to look at the night sky. And and God says to Abram, look up because your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Now, that's really important because you see, stars bring light and stars permeate. Their their light permeates. I mean, if you've looked at the new pictures from the Webb Space Telescope, it is breathtaking, the light from the stars, right? Like stars, we are obligated to bring a little bit of light to our world. Where there is suffering, sadness, heartbreak, we are sent by God to bring love, to see beyond ourselves. Truth is, there's nothing easy about any of this, as you can read the rest of the Bible and know. Nothing easy about this. Nothing easy about listening for, much less following the call of God. And here's an equal truth. Abram didn't go alone. He took his household with him. Oh, and by the way, God went too. Actually, probably preceded his going. And the best truth of all, everyone gets the blessings. (laughs) Everybody. If we, as descendants of Abram, follow his path and follow in the way of Jesus, who is our light, we get the blessings, right? They're heaped upon us. Beyond our wildest imaginations, they are heaped upon us. All we must do is go, either literally or figuratively, and be the blessing. My professor of preaching in Hebrew, Dr. John Holbert, said that this passage of scripture is the linchpin in the Bible. Because the remainder of the Bible's stories will be one attempt after another, after another, after another to reconstitute a broken world. God will be full of divine ideas that God hopes will lead at last to shalom, wholeness, the peace and wholeness that God desires for us. For us as Christians, God's best attempt for us was the gift of Jesus. A gift that began in the earliest stories of our faith in a garden where a gift was defiled. Ended in another garden just before a cruel death and came into full fruition in another garden in an astonishing new life. So, when God tells you go, go ahead. Take the leap of faith. God will be good 
on God's promises to you. Thanks be to God. Amen.